the person might come in expecting results in a certain time frame, but really what the trainer needs to be doing is focusing on the retention of that client into the long term because we don't get that kind of behaviour change until a year. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find out how to access exclusive discounts on Phylex, the fitness industry convention. In this episode, pioneer of personal training, Wendy Sweet, discusses the dawn and evolution of personal training, the problems of selling PT to clients who aren't hungry for it, and how managers can improve their club PT operation with Network's Oliver Kitchenman. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you, Ollie. It's great to be here. And welcome back to Phylex. Mm, thank you. I always enjoy coming to Melbourne. You know that. <laughs> Wendy, how has the personal training industry and PT education changed since the early days of personal training back in the 1990s? Well, Ollie, um, just a little bit on, on, I guess, my background, as you, as you referred to there. I set up the, the very first personal training in New Zealand in the early 1990s. In fact, it was 1991. And I always like reminding personal trainers about, you know, the fact that prior to that, there really wasn't a lot of option for members. Mm. And back in those days, just to reflect on the fact that the gym instructor model was alive and well. And that was a, a, a model whereby it was very focused on delivering exercise prescription and fitness testing. And basically the gym instructor was doing everything for members. So as you can appreciate with bringing in personal training back in those early days, there was a lot of conflict between the role of the gym instructor and the role of the personal trainer. And it took a long time to actually get through that whole kind of culture because there wasn't a lot of, uh, well, there was no personal trainer education available in those days. And what was happening for the qualifications of gym instructors was that there was a specific model being taught out of the various polytechnics or courses that were available at the time. This is certainly in New Zealand and the same was happening in Australia. So personal training came along in the early 1990s. At that stage, globally, there were just personal trainer to the stars. So there was this, uh, I guess, ethos and, and expectation that we were, we were pioneering the fact that people would pay for the prescription of their exercise and yet they could actually get that as part of their membership from a gym instructor because they so as you can appreciate there was a there was a lot of learning back then and the greatest learning that I had in particular working as a trainer myself was that the reassurance from the time I got my very first client when we when we launched personal training in, in the Les Mills clubs there were people out there who actually wanted a different level of service. And over though that next couple of years, that was perhaps 
the, the, the learning curve that we all had. I remember trainers uh, came along, some of the best in the business. Um, some of them are still personal training to this day and working up in the States and in Australia and various places. And those early personal trainers, we really had to learn on the, on the job. It was very much, um, you know, figuring out what people wanted, uh, our clients wanted, but also being cognizant that we needed to provide a service that was completely different from the gym instructor service. And that was the learning that I still take through to today. If you're going to have a personal training service in your club, and if you're going to have a gym instructor service, and if you're going to have group fitness, or if you're going to have small group training, then how are you going to differentiate between those different products to the consumer? Because it's hugely confusing and to members who are new to the club. So that was perhaps one of our first learnings back in those back in those early days. And people kind of forget that that's really where it all evolved from. The other thing I learned was that there are people who want to pay for a level of service that is more personal, and uh, and that's why it's called personal training. And I think that that's what we forget. We forget that personal training has been named that for a reason. So it is personal. So it's personal to the client. So therefore, I get really concerned when I talk to trainers in, in various roles in various countries, and they're turning up to a client with a pre-written program. And how can my, my argument there is how can you write a pre-written program when this is personal to the client? So, so I always challenge trainers to think about what it is that they're providing in terms of the service that they're providing. What does the client need and how are you going to marry that up? So, so those are the, the, the things that have changed in terms of thinking about where personal training came from and what are the expectations of the trainers. In terms of the other big area of change would have to be the fact that now we have courses for personal trainers. So therefore, personal trainers are being taught and modelled in a way that that wasn't around when we were pioneering. And, um, and I ran the very first personal training course in New Zealand, and uh, that was with Lee Perori. And one of the things that we, we realised was that if we're going to have a career path for gym instructors to become personal trainers, then there needs to be a different level of expectation around the knowledge of the personal trainer, the way the personal trainer interacts with a client on the floor. So there was a lot of pioneering going on around education as well. So it's um, it's the education market for personal trainers has seen incredible growth whether that's a good thing or a bad thing I'm not too sure but I still think that there are some fundamental issues that personal trainers need to be cognizant of as they are entering the role of, of being a personal trainer. So how much is the change in personal training and the training given to personal trainers how, how much is that a reflection of consumers changing needs? That's a really good question. I don't think the consumer's needs have changed all that much. I think if you reflect back on why do people join a gym, they join a gym because they, they are after some kind of change in their, in their life, usually their, their physical state. So 
you know, from the time that gyms have evolved, and if you look at the historical nature of the, um, the, the, the fitness industry, the fitness industry started with a perspective around bodybuilding and body shaping. And then, of course, we've had the emergence through the 1970s and 1980s, whereby we've had dance-based exercise, and certainly Jane Fonda, and, and so we've had new products arriving in the aerobic arena, and uh, you could argue that that was a culture that was also emanating from a change in the media-driven body image influence on, on women especially and the need for women to find a community. And I think when personal training arrived, we've, we've really tapped into the whole growth in the body image culture that has emerged over the 1980s and 1990s, which was also the time that the sporting culture was growing and there was a lot more emphasis on health and the relationship between exercise and health. So with the emergence of, of gyms per se, people have always joined a gym for something that they're wanting to attain and so what we've done with personal training is we've been able to individualize that service and personalize that service. Then what, so people join a gym because they want to attain some kind of physical result and, and, um, and, you know, lose weight, gain muscle, all those sorts of things. But it's really interesting when you look at the research around adherence and why people stay at a club, the reasons differ. And of course, we, we know with some of the surveys that have been done with personal training that the number one reason why people hire a trainer is because of motivation. I would add accountability to that as well. So people join a gym because they want to attain, you know, an, an ideal state around their, their physical state, which is driven through the, the weight loss industry or the weight the muscle gain industry and the, the or the, the fitness, you know, in terms of aerobic fitness or whatever. So they join a gym for a for a kind of a a physical reason, but the reason they stay actually moves to the psychological. And you asked whether the consumer's needs have changed. I would argue no, it hasn't. What has changed is the way we market to consumers. And people come in with an expectation that they're going to get results in six weeks or 12 weeks or whatever it is because of the, the marketing. And, and in fact, back in the 1980s, it was Bill Phillips who, who drove that whole six-week body transformation or 12-week body transformation. So I always say to, around the personal training area, there's a huge expectation around the role of a personal trainer. And I think the role of the personal trainer has changed in that respect because the clients come in with this expectation that has been driven by marketing. And yet what we really want to do is we want to, yes, certainly help them get results, but it takes a long time for them to actually be consistent with that behaviour. And one of the things that, that, that personal trainers can, I'm just going around a little bit in circles, but, but one of the things that personal trainers need to be really, really conscious of is the fact that they, the person might come in expecting results in a certain time frame, but really what the trainer needs to be doing is focusing on the retention of that client into the long term, because we don't get that kind of behavior change until a year, you know, consistent weight loss is a year or more. So lots has changed around around that environment, moving from the physical to more awareness of the, the psychological. 
So the way in which it's been marketed has changed. Has the demographics changed as well? The, the demographics that you use, personal trainers, is it different now than it was in the 1990s? When we launched in the 1990s, I can honestly say that anecdotally, because we didn't have any data back then, but as I grew the team of personal trainers, and I had a team of 80 trainers operating just out of one club in Auckland, and I had over 200 personal trainers nationwide in New Zealand, and the demographics was definitely over the age of 35. And and that makes sense, because at the same time, there was a lot of other products available and for the 18 to you know 25 demographics graphic it was certainly around group fitness and and everything else and you know in the 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 body shaping market but you get I think as people get older what they sense and again we had no data and or research back in those days but the the clients were definitely over the age of 35 definitely had more disposable income and they definitely had time constraints. So part of the benefits of personal training to them back then was the fact that they could get in, do their workout, know that it was quality over quantity and get out again and they could fit that into into their day. So that's what we saw around the type of person that, that has a personal trainer. I would still argue these days that it's it's the over 35 or even over 40 demographic and it really concerns me because if it's an older demographic and, and that kind of aligns with the age group with the easy pay surveys that have been done in Australia and New Zealand that it is the, the 35, 40 plus market ones with disposable income, people have got time constraints, they want to get in, have a service from a, have the personal training service that's available and get out again they're searching for motivation they want accountability and then it does concern me about how we're training personal trainers and what we're doing around the training for that specific demographic that they're getting in the clubs. But we're getting better with, with, with having data and having research and all sorts of things. Of course, the other thing that's changed considerably, and I, I, drove this from a marketing and a, and a management perspective was that one of the things that we have seen change is that is the the oh. difference between the 1980s and 1990s when clubs came started to grow and looked at, at different aspects of growth was how do we it's all very well getting members in the door but how do we keep them and one of the anecdotal experiences that that we showed with the growth in personal training was that if you can put a new member with a personal trainer and give them a personalized experience as they join the club then they will keep coming for longer they will keep they will get over that three months or that 90 day hurdle where we get the highest drop off in the gym so one of the things that I'm very which is a need that that I don't think has changed at all is this huge need for us to focus personal trainers on that 90-day retention model and and really focus on trainers on how are they managing that, 
What are they doing about it in their one-to-one sessions? How are they managing the client experience in those sessions? And then what are they doing to commit to the customer service to keep that client coming back? And from from that perspective, we, I think we're doing a lot better if we have, by having the personal training service in the clubs. The other thing that's changed, and, and as I say, I was part of this, is... There's two other things that changed. The first one is new members now come in uh, to clubs, both in Australia and New Zealand, and they're not making a purchasing decision to have a personal trainer. It's being forced on them at membership point of sale. So you join a club these days, and I know this happens in a lot of the major chains, and you get a personal trainer. So you're not coming in making a purchasing decision or making the decision in your mind that you want a personal trainer. You're coming in wanting to join a gym and somewhere in that membership point of sale, you're getting a personal trainer or a personalized program. And then what we're doing is we're using that as a lead generation mechanism for our personal trainers. And that's the critical thing that needs to be focused on with trainer training is what is going on in that first session to try and move this this lead into a regular client and I think that in the early days we we did that really well because we were training around that and I'm not convinced that we that we I think we've a lot of gym managers and personal training managers have lost touch with how we're managing that first session and that's something that you can't train Uh, that typically doesn't get trained very well in many of the academic institutions because you're just learning about the muscles and you're learning about the body. So that's changed, is how we're marketing personal training at point of sale and then how we're we're teaching trainers to go from that into, into a retention model. The other thing that's changed, and I know that I was definitely responsible for this, is that we now have the contractor model of personal training. And uh, Philip Mills and I were the first ones in the world to bring this in. And it was driven by a number of trainers who we'd put them on the employee model. And the employee model was that they were they came in, um, the member paid for their personal training services at reception as an, as an extra service, and the client got a portion of that. And in those days, we were only charging $35 for a personal training session, and the trainer would get $20 of that. And after a year or so, as we grew the personal training teams in Les Mills in, in Auckland, then what happened was some of the trainers said, actually, we're not getting enough value out of this and, and we're not getting enough money from this. So we explored as a very first test case in, case in New Zealand with, with legal teams, we explored putting trainers on as licensed contractors. And now, of course, we have independent contractor model, we have the licensed contractor model, and we have the employee model. So if you're a licensed contractor, you're licensed to that club. And we brand up those those trainers, they, they wear the branding of the club, and they are pretty much, you know, under the jurisdiction of the club, but they're running their own business within that club. So that's changed hugely. And there's a lot of managers and owners who don't fully understand 
the legal implications of having either an independent contractor, a licensed contractor, or an employee, where they may, might be doing gym instruction some hours, but then they're topping up with a bit of personal training. And that's a really critical area, and I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> but that's probably the, the areas that have changed the most, is the, you know, is, is the role sure. of the personal trainer, how we're marketing those personal trainers to members, and then what are we doing with the personal trainer education and the way in which personal trainers are managed as well and the kind of people that are being recruited to the position of pt managers or managers in clubs that's changed as well Yes, it's changed enormously, and I know this because a lot of the personal trainers that started off with me uh, back in New Zealand have ended up in Australia, and they've been working for various clubs who have got quite a different business model for their personal training. And what's changed, and I know that, that this business model has been driven by some large clubs, but with the, the emphasis on the personal training manager in Australia has been on recruitment of trainers and building the teams of personal trainers without giving them an understanding of how do you develop a personal trainer who's just come out of a training course and how do you teach them how to relate to clients and and how to talk to clients and how to communicate and how do you establish that whole rapport and relationship. So I know for a number of years the emphasis was put on numbers and getting getting numbers of trainers into personal training and therefore trying to, to the role of that personal training manager was actually getting clients into or leads into the personal training, the new personal trainers. And that really conflicts with the time that a manager could and should be spending with a new personal trainer. Um, it's like any employee in the workforce. It doesn't matter whether you work in manufacturing or whether you work in a hotel or hospitality or in a gym. If you're a new member of that organisation, there needs to be time spent on getting into the culture, of understanding the culture of the organisation, understanding the members, understanding the members' needs, and then learning and getting feedback. And I don't think that we're really doing a great job of involving personal training managers in that whole ethos of building the, the, building the career of the personal trainer, making the personal trainer successful. If you're a personal training manager and you make a personal trainer successful and we tend to measure success in number of clients and the money that that personal trainer makes, you will hang on to that trainer. And uh, so therefore you've got to work backwards and say, how can I make a personal trainer successful in my club? So what are the key issues that clubs need to address in order to do this then, in order to manage their clubs for profit and performance? What are they, uh, are there a series of practical steps that they can take? Yes, there is. And I think it starts with hiring. So you have to be really, well, it, it actually starts before that. It starts by saying to yourself, if you're a club manager or an owner, why have I got personal trainers in the club? What is the purpose of personal trainers in my club for my members? And the, the, the minute you start to address that question, then that opens up Pandora's box of the type of trainer that you're going to have, the business model that you're going to run with in that club in terms of the uh, philosophies of the club, the culture of the club, 
and the, the different products that you've got in that club and how personal training is, is another product that is actually going to enhance all your other products in your club and the service that you want to provide as, as, a, as a club owner and manager. And the Pandora's box that that then opens is, if I've got gym instructors in the club, then the second thing that the managers and owners have to address is, how am I going to differentiate the service model for my gym instructors and the service model for my personal trainers? And when I say this to club managers and owners, I say, so what is the job description that you're putting in front of your gym instructors and what is the contract relationship or job description, depending on the on the model, what is what are you putting in front of your personal trainers? And if I sat and looked at those, would they be different? Then that opens up the box of, well, what type of trainers am I going to have in my club? Are they going to meet the needs of the member of my particular members, whether it's a studio, whether it's a community gym, whether it's a big multi-chain gym, uh, what are the unique needs of my members? And a lot of owners and managers, they actually can't tell me what the demographics of their members are and why these members have joined a club. And, you know, it doesn't matter what we say, but 99% of, of people who join a health club typically want weight loss. So if you've hired a lot of personal trainers who don't understand weight loss in women over the age of 40 or weight loss in women who are menopausal or weight loss and all that kind of thing, then you're doing your members a disservice. So it's all about thinking, you know, it's about working through the, the, all of those particular relevant points. Then it gets back to what is the role of the personal training manager and what are the traits and characteristics of that personal training manager and what is their skill set? Are they a number cruncher? Because if they're a number cruncher, then what are they doing? How are they going to train your trainers to become successful? And there's certain elements of being a successful trainer and those elements are uh, certainly around what I term the five R's and the five R's of, of being a successful personal trainer, which is, which is the business of a personal trainer. The first R is knowing how to develop the relationship with your client. The second R is knowing strategies for retaining that client. The third R is getting results with that client because those first three lead to the fourth R, which is referrals, driving word of mouth referrals, and the fifth R is revenue. So a personal trainer will only get down to the fifth one once they've got all those four in the box. And as I say, that's what I've evolved as the product of a personal trainer over the years. So if you've got a personal training manager who has no experience in managing that flow, uh, all those Wendy's five R's of, of personal training, and they're just crunching numbers or they're caught with their time because they're just trying to attract, they're doing the marketing to get personal, uh, to get clients into the personal training arena, then you've got problems because you've got new trainers who don't understand what their business is specific to your members in your club. Great advice, Wendy. One more thing before we wrap up. Do you have any predictions for what the next big thing is going to be in the world of personal training? I've had a lot of uh, time to, 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 to think about that, but I have to say that personal training is is still a growth area. When you look at the data from the IBIS uh, World Research Centre in America, personal training is still listed as one of the growth areas. I am 
very in touch with a lot of the literature around demographics and the fitness industry and everything else. And this is my interpretation of it specific to personal training. We are in a world where two things, we've got a lot of concern around the health crisis that's happening because of our, our Western, the modern world that we, that we live in. So we have to figure out a way to have people who have different health crises from obesity through to what, you know, through to being overweight, through to type 2 diabetes, all those, all those diseases of modern society. We have to figure out a way to make those feel, people feel comfortable in a gym. If we can make those feel, people feel comfortable in a, in a gym, then there is opportunity there for personal trainers. If personal trainers are skilled at understanding motivation of these members who aren't particularly good at exercise. So I think we've got a long way to go there. We have these ideal, you know, concepts around how we're going to manage, you know, be a part of this whole, you know, obesity crisis or diabetes or health crises that, that the Western world is in. But but I, we're not addressing that in the gym. Gyms are scary places for these people uh, who need a lot more exercise. So I think there's opportunity there for people to get into that area. The opportunity that we're losing is the people who are born up to 1964, between 1955 and 1964. So the, the, the late baby boomers. So these are the, these are people for who are now 50 or in their early 50s, right through to 65. This is the opportunity for personal trainers because this is the group who have come through the 1980s, the 1990s, the 2000s, who know gyms, and they've been into fitness centres and gyms, they understand personal training, they understand that there are, that the fitness centres and personal trainers offer an environment for them to start thinking about their healthy ageing. But these people have had either good or bad experience in the early gyms of the 1990s and the, you know, and, and, you know, they've seen the good, the bad and the ugly, certainly of personal training. So there's an opportunity there to extend our outreach to the younger baby boomers, the last of the baby boomers coming through who are conscious that they want to move into a healthy and active ageing. And there's a lot we can learn about that. And uh, and certainly with the, the personal trainers who have been in the industry for a long time, they're a lot more in tune with this particular demographic and this target market. And that's certainly been part of my PhD studies is, is understanding women who are in their 50s why they have personal trainers. And the, uh, and all I can tell you at the moment is that they're prepared to shop around to find the right trainer with the right skill set, with the right communication, and they don't care about, you know, all the different products and, and everything else. They, they're focused on their healthy ageing. They don't want to age the way that their parents have aged or, or older people have aged in the past, and they want a more functional type ageing. So we've got a long way to go around that. Yep. Wendy? Thank you very much for talking to Network. You're very welcome, Ollie. Thank you for the opportunity. For more articles, resources and inspiration to grow your fitness business, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au.